with Bitter Root, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, look through it. And that's it, the lines get so blurred about who created what, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a true, wonderful collaborative effort. We get on each other's nerves sometimes, I ain't gonna lie to you, but we, proof is in the pudding, right? We, we put out something that people love, you know, even though we get on each other's fucking nerves, we still put out something that everybody loved and that's really cool. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of it, man. And I'm, I'm really appreciative to everyone that picks up the book. Hey, thanks for listening. So for my living, I spend a lot of time studying and designing brands for other people. But whenever I look at my own, it feels like it's, it's built on like a house of cards. It's so, it's so frustrating. And I don't know whether it's just me constantly finding holes to punch through it or the diversity of the things that I do and try to, you know, scotch tape together into one package or I don't know. I just, it's, it's, it's a bit daunting because I, I, a couple of years ago, or was it last year? I can't really remember, but I, I, I condensed everything. I had, you know, three different Instagram accounts to Twitter accounts and sort of multiple websites. And it was just one of these things where I'm like, God, I just can't keep up with this. I, I was just driving me nuts. You know, I, I don't want to be on my phone. I don't want to be posting and doing all this stuff. And I just said, fine, you know, just smush it all together. One thing. And I did, and I don't know, you know, then I think, oh my God, am I, am I confusing people? You know, because people might be looking for the, the Tradecraft podcast and it's sitting on the jalexmorrissey.com website. So are they finding it there? Are they finding it, you know, on my personal Instagram account and vice versa? People are just saying, hey, I wonder what happened to Alex? Um I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a, a nutty thing. And one thing I did do, somebody had posted something about a, uh, a service called Buffer, which allows you to post to multiple platforms at once, which is great. But they didn't host Blue Sky. So then I found Fidisha, I think it's pronounced. And they do. So that's great. But they also don't <laughs> offer the ability to collab post somebody on Instagram, which in my experience so far has been the most valuable feature on Instagram because my guests actually get the post of the podcast when it comes out on their timeline. So the people who want to, you know, keep up with a creator they enjoy can actually find it versus stumbling it onto through a hashtag or Lord knows if they follow me, who knows if they do. But um, so I, I emailed them and said, hey, is it a possibility for you guys to offer this? And they said, well, yeah, um, we're actually planning to do it in a couple of weeks. Apparently, they're a small outfit and they're just eager to create a powerful platform which people can utilize. So if you are like me and don't want to spend, you know, 10 minutes posting one thing, I would definitely check out Fidicia, F-E-D-I-C-A, something like that. Anyway, they're really, really cool. 
and I hope they're only going to get cooler because every minute that I don't have to do that stuff is a chance for me to look at my personal house of cards of a brand and try to make that thing better. As a bit of a head up for that, there I will be posting my reading list from 2023 and put a link in my link tree. You can check out the uh, books and graphic novels I uh, read last year. Yeah, and I don't really do this too often. If you are a regular listener, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you prefer or on Substack. Um, it does really help because it gets it out there to people who don't already know about it. And I feel that for creators of comic books and fans of comic books, the conversations that we have here are worth sharing. I would really appreciate it and thank you. And today's guest is Chuck Brown, uh, the writer. He and I have known each other for a couple of years. He is, um, you know, we're sort of local to one another um, and we bump into each other at the various conventions. I love his work and I've had some really, really great talks with him. You know, Chuck is admittedly not one to want to talk in public a lot. So he was reluctant to come on, but then he finally said yes. And I was super excited because he really is a thoughtful individual who writes from a very personal point of view and uh, has been successful with that. So I hope you dig my talk with Chuck Brown. I'm trying to pick your brain here. Like, so I'm seeing you've got like anime characters, like from series on the, on your wall back there, along with superheroes. Oh, uh, oh, uh, I'm a big uh, Dragon Ball Z fan. You know, I'm Gen X, so I grew up with um, Dragon Ball Z. I watched that a lot in college, in Dragon Ball in college. Right. That was my first exposure to anime, honestly. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. When did did that come out? Like, Dragon Ball been out for a while. Um, I don't know, in the 90s, maybe? I know it was Dragon Ball. Then became Dragon Ball Z. So I think it was like the 90s, even before that. The manga's even older than that. So. Yeah. Yeah, my first exposure, I mean, I, it, you know, it, it was Speed Racer for sure. Astro Boy. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was just so kind of like way out there in thinking compared to what, you know, everything was very situational, it, you know, for American cartoons. Okay, you've got the scooby-doo team or you've got the whatever team and they get up to hijinks for this 28 minute you know cartoon and but like they were carrying storylines along from episode to episode it was just this real kind of change of how like who is racer x you know and you're like i i I don't know i need to know who this guy is yeah the whole ongoing villains and you have to be its family and things of that sort and the dialogue was out of this world and different so it's kind of mm-hmm. really captured, you know, our imaginations with our first exposure to, I guess, uh, I guess comics and content that's like outside of the box for me, you know. Ninja Scroll was a big one for me. I love Scroll. Um, it was just and in your face, and you know, things like when, I guess when Spawn came along, a lot of image books came along. They were more in the spirit of you know, not just for kids. It was just uh, raw, unfiltered storytelling, you know. 
Yeah, no, totally. I think that's that was very much in the uh, the mindset. I think they were, I mean, <laughs> you said there was Dragon Ball, then Dragon Ball Z. I'm like, well, of course. I mean, you know, the next cool letter would be X, but Z is even cooler than X, you know. But uh, but like the 90s were all about the extreme, right? Like, wasn't everything extreme in the 90s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ninja Turtles was a big thing, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's when it really first yeah. started coming out, yeah. Yeah, I I was I was thinking like, you know, about our talking today and I was trying to like you know, I, I you, Yeah, you you froze up. What happened? Oh, that was oh, you froze up for me. I know, me too. I was rude. Um and everyone likes to think like, oh, what like what's the thing like that gets you into comic books? And I get that, but like like what gets you in a story? Like what was the thing mm. like for you that you know, I mean, I can pick moments like growing up, like the story things that really kind of bashed into my head and made me think like, oh, that's different. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's so, there's so much stuff. But um, I guess for me, I didn't really um, go to comic book shops until I was in college, honestly, and had a car. Honestly, that, that was my first time going to a comic book, my very late starter. So um, I used to go to... Uh, um, when my mom used to go to like the uh, pharmacy, there was always like a spinning rack in the pharmacy and picking up Hulk for the first time. And at the time they were doing the thing where it was apocalypse was making everyone um, um, four horsemen. And I think Hulk yep. was war. And that just kind of really stood out to me that, you know, how they had accused the whole four, four horsemen of the apocalypse and how apocalypse existed itself in the, Mar- in the DC, I mean, I mean, um, in the Marvel universe. And that kind of stood out to me, you know, when I was younger, that storyline. And um, again, I think, like I said, Ninja Scroll really blew my mind. The storytelling, the characters, the character development, you know, um, really seeing people die in a story and really feeling that emotion, you know, really hitting you hard. Cause like you said, you don't really get that with Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. and school and you know most of our american american um, animation and in comics at the time so yeah that that the, the hulk that story kind of really pops in my head to begin with but you're right i don't really think about what got me into the storytelling like what's really pulled me in with the story but that was one of the definitely that's one of the top things top of the list for me you know you you mentioned you know a character dying and i you know, that was one of the moments for me is, you know, when I thought about story in a different level was when I read the book, The Yearling, which is like one of those books they make you read growing up. And it's, a, you know, it's it's like Old Yeller or any of these other books where, you know, there's the character has a there's an animal and then the the primary, you know, the, the protagonist has to kill this animal to because it's in the best interest for the whatever the animal or whatever going on and you know it's heartbreaking like you're crying and bawling as you're reading this book and I, but it dials down to the idea of like you know literature is all about death you know and it is you know the avoidance of death the confront confronting death the realization yeah. of death whatever whatever that yeah. stuff is like that when you dig into it and, you know and so as a kid like death is like this vague you know thing that doesn't happen yet like and there's a point in your life when it does happen and you know sometimes hopefully it happens in you know in, in a in a narrative form before a real real form in your life and you can kind of dip your toe into the water of that but um 
that kind of stuff is so like when you say that, like, that's kind of a thing where you're like, oh, there's a permanent change here. Like when the character goes away and like that, how does that change a world and the characters around that character? Like it really isn't, it's a big thing. I mean, you, you definitely, you definitely draw from other media books and anime and comics. Um, also for me, I, just, I honestly do draw from just life experiences, trying to figure out why things are the way they are. Um, you mentioned death, like, you know, I'm, I'm 47 years old, right? I've, I've seen, I've lost people along the way, but they're more or less acquaintances in a sense that, you know, people and you don't really hit you as hard, but I lost my, um, I lost my brother, uh, uh, on 2021, 2022. And that was, oh, a really, that was the first time I really experienced it that close to home. And, um, and, and, you know, and the only, the only thing that helped me deal with it, honestly, was just creating comics and creating something around that and me trying to make sense of it and me trying to deal with it. And maybe other people were dealing with this. So um, definitely, I mean, I, I think we all do it. We all draw from our life experiences to tell those stories and just what yeah. makes it take and, and trying to connect with people that's going to make the best story for you, you know, and and, you know, you know, I mean, growing up, you know, creating comics literally like saved my life because, you know, I had lots of issues or whatever. But just being in comics and getting lost in that world, that really and gave me direction and gave me focus. And, you know, in creating something now, you know, dealing with the loss is, you know, helping me. It helped me get through it in my own way and understand what happened, you know, and that sort of thing, you know, and dealing with life and death. And so, you know, so, yeah. Oh man, I'm so, I'm so, I mean, I'm sorry to hear that. That's um, it's so when when these things come into this like that one arm away person, you know, in your life, like yeah. it is, it is, you know, like what I what I what I call that, you know, I call like the un, like it's an untethering. Like you kind of feel like you've been cut adrift from something mm. that was holding you at least stable in life at points. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And I, I, I too, yeah, definitely with the losses that I've experienced in the last few years have definitely dived into, you know, into my writing, like dealing with relationships in the terms of like characters in a story, like how do they deal with these things and how do they handle, um, you know, if it's loss or whatever, or, or even just the basics of, you know, you know, familial love or friendship love, like, how do you deal with that? Um, because, you know, there is this line where you don't get to keep it. it, it goes, it goes away. So, you know, when you experience it, and you're able to kind of translate that into the, your works, it's kind of like this, I don't know, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a healing thing. It's, it's not easy. It sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Um, was it was what what works specifically was it working you know with with the the run that you were going on or was this a different project for you to it's um it's it, it sprang out of the issue it sprang out of it that's i just started thinking to myself about life and death and the afterlife and is there afterlife and you know and all the different religions in the world and how we're all so divided just on religion right like you know sure and, and 
life and, and you know, should we take care of the earth we're on now or are we people just worrying about, you know, going to heaven and thinking about that, you know, that sort of thing. So the, you know, the, so the, the stories, you can't, it, I think it kind of, it honestly kind of drips into a little bit of everything I'm working on because you can't help it when you're writing something, but there is something very specific I am working on that kind of helping me deal with those issues and, you know, in a sense, ask questions and, and try to figure out why are we here and why, you know, and, and what matters is, you know, taking care of each other now and um, not worrying about the hereafter, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of of what I'm working on now, I guess. And just, in, and it, you know, it may, it, may, it may never even come out. That's not really the point. The point is just not me not losing my fucking mind. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of my thing, you know. Totally. And yeah. I think, I mean, the thing is, is like putting it down is getting it out. You yeah. know, in the terms of what the real thing is, not so much as if it ends up on a on a shelf somewhere. Like, there's a big difference between that. Like, being able to cross that line and say, "Okay, I'm going to embrace this, or I'm going to engage with this," when it's the last thing that we want to do. But like, there's the things that you you need to do, and like, that's kind of the the case. Do you do you see a lot of creators come on here where? I know a lot of us start with, we just love it. You know, we're fans. We love it. We love anime. We love comics and we get into it. Do you have anyone that gets into it, but also they kind of stay into it just for honestly their sanity, you know, just uh, as it's so deep ingrained in them that they, I mean, I've tried quitting so many yeah. times, you know, like you get so many failures and you're like, oh, I'm just kind of tired of this, but you just kind of keep creating, you keep going. Do you see a lot of that? I know you talk to a yeah. lot. of. I, I think, I think you see it most um, you know, with the people who are, you know, your age and my age and maybe a little bit older who have, you know, walked away, like, that's it, you know, like, I'm going to go find, you know, find some joy in something else elsewhere. And mm -hmm. I think the problem with the create, like, first off, the thing about comic books for a lot of people is we get hooked at such a young age that it's this sort of thing that is almost like woven into our dna by the time you know we're able to make sort of mature choices yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know and so there's this sort of like you know like like in, in a uh programming term there's a this this back door that it just always can kind of kick its way back in and i mean and listen for myself dude it's it, it's the case i mean i walked away in you know in 2000 i was like that's it i can't i can't yeah. i spent a whole decade running myself against the wall and not understanding why I wasn't being as successful as I thought I could be or as other people felt I should be. And mm. I struggled. So I walked away and I went to go find some some happiness elsewhere. And by and large, I did. But then like, here I am talking <laughs> to comic people on a weekly <laughs> basis. Because oh, because like, it's part of who I am. Like it's part of everyone who says, I'm going to go get a gig in animation. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get a job as an, in an ad agency. And then they're mm -hmm. like, Oh, but I'm staying up till two o'clock in the morning, four nights a week working on my comic book or whatever the thing is, or I quit that job and now I'm back in comics. It's like, you just, it, it's, it's weird. It's, you know, it's like a, it's like one of those unhealthy, you know, yeah, but you don't know how he treats me when we're alone kind of relationship with, uh, you know, with these things. You, you, you know, I've had a lot, I've had a lot of jobs. I've had, I've worked for Orchid, you know, killing bugs and, you know, I've 
stopped at food line and I worked in a mail room and I was an IT guy and but all the while I'm creating comics at night, you know what I'm saying? Just to, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, this isn't me, this isn't me, this isn't me. I used to quit a lot of jobs. You know, I used to go a job for like yeah. two weeks, three weeks, and like, you know, I, you know, gotta work this weekend. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta go to Atlanta Comic Con this weekend. And I'm like, and I'm like 20, I'm like, I quit. I'm going to the mm-hmm. Comic Con, you know. But after a while, you know, you start, you get married, you have kids, you have responsibilities, you gotta grow up a little bit and not make so much drastic decisions as you used to but it never leaves you if you if you love it and you like you say if it's woven into your dna you know it's uh it's never gonna leave you so and that's a good I, thing. I, yeah yeah i mean I, it's a good thing because you end up with a body of creators that are dedicated to the point where there's they'll almost put their self-interest aside like that's mm-hmm. like kind of the creation and i mean listen i'm married to an artist Mm-hmm. And she's insanely good, like just crazy good you know, museum, you know, showing kind of person. But she still has to fight that impulse of like someone's like, hey, you know what? It, this would be a great experience for you if you just put your stuff here, gave it to us for free and put it here. She has to fight that impulse just like the rest of us do mm-hmm. to not just give away her life for yeah just because someone says i like it and you're like oh you do you do yeah I, I, okay um it, it, yeah it's it, it's it's tough and like i have to step back all the time and go okay listen don't get carried away with you know with this whole comic book thing don't go like all right well i'm going to start writing a whole bunch of comic books and putting because i know i, I know that if i don't have a specific thing that i'm going to need to do i'm going to end up being really angry with myself because I, because I, I, I fell for my own trick again. Like I have to be really like, I'm already doing that as a novelist. Why would I do this myself as a comic book writer too? Like it's too much. Right. And you know, I just got off, I just got off a DC book and you know, I'm probably going to do another one this year or more, but it's like, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough business where there's a you know there's a I have a lot of great editors, but you know you don't have a whole lot of creative freedom with with these characters dealing with these legacy characters and things of that sort. So it can be a bit of a hassle, but you know I just kind of you know I'm you know I grew up loving you know Superman and Batman and Wolverine and Hulk, so I'm gonna keep coming back to do more. And yeah. I, you really are doing it for the love because you're not like I'm not gonna be a Tom Taylor or anything like that, you know, I'm far from that, but it's just something I love and something I enjoy. And you're going to keep coming back, you know, even though people, you know, the fans may be kind of harsh and critics may be kind of harsh, but you're going to keep coming back and because you love the thing, you know, almost like, you know, a little punishment. It's like punishment. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, you know, the thing is they're coming in from the same point of view as, as well, because yeah. they, their, their DNA was, you know, infected at a young age too. So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so for the fan or for the you know the, the the critic, it's all the same sort of space that everyone's coming to these things. And you go, oh, okay. Like, I mean, it's easy to say, like, well, you know, fuck you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your own comic book and see how you like it, buddy. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> right. Right, right? You know, it's not. It, it isn't. It, it isn't for everyone. Like, it is it, to make something is incredibly hard. It is what to take something from nothing and put it out there in the world is is a is a foolish and brave act of an inordinate magnitude like this is something that a very few people can do yeah and 
I mean, I was gonna say like when you, I think you invited me. We were um, where were we? I don't know where you. We were probably Heroes Con. You invited me. It was the first time, yeah. Like it's been a while, and right, and you know, I kind of turn you down because it's I don't like doing interviews. I don't like being in front of people. I don't like talking to people, honestly. You know, I like talking to going to a con and talking to you, but this being out in the world, that's that's something different. So, um, this year I'm doing a um my artist residency at my local like my, my local library. Oh, and I have like office hours, right? And today, um, a guy, you know, he stopped by and he, he was looking at the outside and he was reading my profile and he came in and was chatting. And he's a regular, you know, he goes to the comic book shop pretty regularly, but he doesn't really know who I am. And I had um, this book hanging up, the um, Titans. Okay, the t- oh, the Titans book, okay. This book hanging up. And he was like, um, what's that? I said, that's my book over at DC. He's, he's a brother, the black dude. He's like, what's that? And he's like, that's my, um, I said, that's my book over at DC. He was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And so I might pick that up. He said, normally I wouldn't pick that up. And I was like, I was like, why? Why wouldn't you pick it up? And he just assumed that a book like this was created by someone white, pandering. You mean someone like me? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. pandering to black people. And I've heard that before. And we just had it. We had a, we had a really great conversation. He was like, I had no idea that a black person was writing the book. And then and he, and he, and you, you hear the whole, the whole saying where one of just create new characters, right? As long as you create new characters, you're a black Superman. And I'm like, it is. And like, it is a new character. His name is Valzad. He's claustrophobic. He's a pacifist. He's his own person. He's his own character, right? And growing up, like I said, we didn't see a lot of these characters. So when I found that he existed, you know, me, he's like, hey, you want to do something in DC? You want to pitch something? I'm like, shit, I'm pitching people that look like me. And it gets on the shelf and they publish and they like the work. But then you get it on the shelf and you get people, it's like, oh, you know, they DC. Just right. Can't. But it's just, it's just a regular, as a person behind, this a person with their own history and their own you know um, um, aspirations and they want to see themselves in comics and i just put it out but then you get the other side so we had like a really great conversation about that you know and i think i helped change his mind because he had a debate with his friends as well about the whole thing about you know why they can't they just create new characters instead of just and i just kind of broke it down for them how you know, he is his own self, you know, and, and he kind of talked about Hulk a little bit about how I asked him, like, who is the Hulk? And he was like, oh, it's a he's the strongest there is. You know, he turns green. And I was like, no, it's about an abused little boy who's basically was beaten by his father. And now that that Hulk is that little boy coming out in rage. Right. And she Hulk, just a female Hulk. It's about a woman that basically who when she turned to the Hulk, she sees herself as a tall beautiful confident woman and that's kind of how to break it down for him it's not about it being the hulk or superman it's about that character and you putting your little bit of yourself into the character and then that's a whole other conversation I, there was like a viral video about something about putting yourselves in characters and think i don't know what it was but we just had a really good conversation we got on the same page and it was it was really cool um to really have that interaction and to be and to really get out there and talk to people and talk to the fans and things of that sort. Because most people that come to, to the table, they kind of know who I am and they know about comics. And there's going to be any um, major back and forth. They're pretty cool. But this guy was like, you know, um, you know, we had a really different. But we had we had very different opinions, but we still we had still a really great conversation. So it's important just to put yourself out there and um, and really just um, let people know who you are and where you come from. No, I, 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 well, I mean, I firmly agree because I, I, you know, that's why, that's kind of why I do this. I mean, I'm doing this to, to engage, to have 
a sort of meaningful discussion with creators about their craft, their process and their journey. So like, you know, so if someone, if someone stumbles onto this, who may have the same sort of opinion or assumption of like, oh, well, this is a cash grab and I'm not, I don't trust that, you know, because like they're, they're not taking, they're not putting the picture of everybody who's making the book on the, you know, on the, you know, on the index page, like you don't get that where, so we have no idea, like we have no idea who anybody, these people are making these books. And I think that was, you know, I mean, I think that was a huge effort by, you know, Dwayne McDuffie, you know, when they, when they wanted to like, say, listen, we're going to make something for ourselves in here and really kind of express this. And I thought that was, it was a beautiful it was a beautiful thing, and I thought it was a huge success at the you know at the time. Yeah, yeah. like no one's saying you know hardware is Iron Man, right? It's nowhere near no. Iron Man. Like he he worked for a corporation, and his boss was the villain, which we can all relate to, you know. And that that was a, a amazing story. It's, it is an amazing story, you know. It is. It's. I mean, it's fantastic, and I think that you know, and it's great to see that it's it's coming back like that, yeah. that like it's not they're not just kind of like going well that was that and we're done like there's this kind of continuation of it which i think is fantastic especially with you know with some of the original original creators not around anymore it's really kind of cool that other people are going to be able to kind of pick up this these storylines and kind of do stuff with them which i think is kind of important um yeah. so how did the residency come about because i'm totally fascinated by that Oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, always um, getting invites to come to a library or come to a school or something. And it's just a local library event. And I just kind of came and just talked about what I do and, and talked about comics and um, on the stump and things of that sort. And um, then we just got started chatting. And they were like, hey, we have an artist residency coming up. Would you like to, would you be interested in applying? And I was like, you know, I thought about it. Um, but I started to not apply because, like I said, I'm not, I'm kind of an introvert. So I don't really do too much um, public speaking if I can help it, you know, but um, I decided to apply and, um, you know, I got accepted and that's kind of where I am now. And it's more or less, it's like a, it's honestly like a, like a never ending panel in a sense, you know, you come in, if you don't know anything about comics, you come in, you ask me about comics, you ask about what I do. And it's more of an outreach. I kind of reach out to the community about the comics that I create and comics in general. And I'm going to do workshops from uh, January to uh, June. And also it's a, it's a, I mean, you know, I work, I work from home, but um, it's sometimes, um, sometimes it's good to go somewhere else and work. And, you know, I started June, I started June 5th and since I've been going, just having that different environment and a place to just work has really helped my process a lot. And, and like, and and that conversation I had, again, that was an amazing conversation that I had gentlemen. So it's, it's been really cool so far. It's been pretty cool. Oh, that's so. That, first off, that's a really nice long residency. That's not a that's not a small in and out kind of thing. Um, the but the I was going to ask you because I mean I go, I, I I pay I pay an extra rent, not huge, but I pay an extra rent every month, so I have a desk and a chair that I can go to sit down and write every day. You know, every day I, I can, which is typically Monday through Friday, um, but. It is super like for me, it's super important to have a delineated space. Like this is the space. I'm not gonna get a knock at the door and my wife isn't gonna come and ask me questions. Okay. I'm gonna be able to sit there, do my work, 
not have to worry about something. Um, my guitar isn't there going like, hey, you know what? Why don't you play me and ignore what you're doing? <laughs> right, 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 right. So when, you know, I'm, when, I'm in the office, you know, when I'm in the office, I'm not going to like, oh, there's a bed. I'll lay down for five minutes, you know, and go talks and, and before you know it, three hours have gone by and you haven't written anything. But, it, it's but amazing I'm, how we, if we could get paid to avoid doing work, we we would be we would be kings, I think. Um, I mean, so you should check, check your local library. I know ours. We have they have meeting rooms, right? And you can sign up for the meeting rooms where you can have it for an hour or whatever. Maybe that's some money you can keep in your pocket and just go to your local library. They have like these meeting rooms we can sign up for and go in the meeting room and you can have the room for an hour or two. And I see people in there all the time. You have, the doors are closed. You, you can't go in there and bother them. They can do their own thing. And maybe that's an option, not even just for you, but anyone listening. You know, if you need to get out of the house and have a workspace, check your local library, man. You never know. Well, I mean, and we're, you know, we're touching on it. I mean, we're touching on the, you know, the not so secret, but the dark side of the, of the creative process is there, you know, is that procrastination? It is that voice in our head that stops us from doing these things at times, you know, like, oh, I really want to do this. I mean, even if you just said it with the, with the, you know, applying for this thing, you, you almost backed out. Like you yeah. had to like, something yeah. had to like, you had to have your back up against something to go, Oh, I, I got to go forward. Like I got to go try this. So whether it was somebody encouraging you or you, you know, really kind of doubling down on it, but like, you got to do these things. And I think, it's easy to go, well, I guess I'm the person who can't do this because you haven't done it. And I think try, try something, try something different. Like if it's not, if it doesn't work for you to sit in your living room to do the thing that you want to do because of X, Y, and Z, go try a different room. If that doesn't work, go to a coffee shop. And if that doesn't work, go to your local library, find somewhere, sometimes some space that you can do these things because not everybody's the same. Like yeah. The, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you and I got like, you and I got really jazzed talking um, when we first met about the characterization and psychology of villains. And I think we were really kind of jiving on Lex, Lex Luthor at the time, just because, you know, this whole sort of like Uber billionaire, bad guy kind of thing. And, and that, that concept to me, which is probably why we write so many things with, you know, bad guys is, because bad for bad sake is boring. It's dull. Like we, we, there's no, like, that's why they created the aliens. You know, there's no, there's no character. They just kill. Okay, fine. Um, But like the idea that somebody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to go do bad (laughs) versus myriad other things you could do to improve your life rather than risk things um, is fascinating. And but the that but the layer below that that motivation, you know, you were talking about like the the, the abused little bo- the abused little boy that become is the Hulk when the yeah. Hulk comes out, yeah. like that kind of stuff is what makes these characters bring and have depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And normally, um, like it goes, it goes with what we talked about earlier, um, life and death. And that fear of death, you know, and I have several characters that are villains 
and good guys. And but the villain's motivation is just they, you know, they just don't want to die. And they are fear of death and they don't want anyone else to die. They don't want to lose anybody and they're willing to do you know, horrific things to make that happen. That whole that whole idea of, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs in a sense. Like like, like we were talking, we might have talked about Doctor Doom, you know, Doctor Doom, you know, he just thinks he's the one that can save the world. He right. needs to be feeling if he thinks if I'm in charge, everything will just be okay. And that's one of the reasons why I love Dr. Doom. It's about the horrific things that he do, he does in the process. And again, that fear of death or that that um that wanting to change the world for a better place, you know, like um, I don't know if you watch a lot of DC animation, but the um Superman, there's like an alternate universe where Superman and the, and all the heroes are bad guys, right? And something happened when there's a terrorist attack or something happened and Superman just flies into the UN and was like, it's over. That's enough. No more fighting. You're going to do what we say, how we say it with the ship in the sky, stop killing each other. Right. And he ends up doing horrific things, but honestly in the part, in the back of my mind, I'm like, shit, we need that. Just somebody just to go into right. the UN. We're like enough with the fucking killing. We're sick of it. We're tired of it. The people don't want this. We're done, right? So like, I'm like this close to being like a supervillain, right? Because part of my mm-hmm. mind is like, people just need to fucking stop, right? You just just end, stop the nonsense, and that's and it's so easy. In my mind, it's so easy to become a villain when you try. It's to do- way easier. It's yeah. it's so much easier to become the villain than to become the hero. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's why like a character like Spider Man or Batman, mm-hmm. these characters. They could easily have become villains. Yeah, and we've seen we seen we seen it in the whole um, what is it, what's the um, the Batman that laughs? We've seen it with him, right? Right, like that, right. That's a, that was just a regular dude that got the godlike level and almost destroyed the universe, right? And that's what and that's a lot of Batman bashings on. I'm just saying, but I, I do like Batman because he's just a regular dude that has all this power, right, and access and resources and knowledge. You know, it would be so easy for him to kill this whole he'll kill this whole rogues gallery. But you know, where would that lead? You know, that's the thing, you know, how how far would he go? He wouldn't stop. You know, he wouldn't stop just there. Right, right. I, I was was commenting the other day, somebody was railing against something, and I thought, like, you know, we as humans if there's a, if there's a stream of discomfort coming in, we will go upstream and damn it. Like we will only go upstream so far as to the point where it sort of interferes with our livelihood or our well-being. We won't go further than we need to because it's only really what is this sort of like, you know, as arm length, whatever, you know, irritant, that's what we will deal with. Anything beyond that, we will endure. Well, fine, whatever that that's, that's not my happening in my backyard. I'll let it go. And like, that's a big difference between, you know, that, that hero that will go like, no, 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 I'm going to go further. I'm going to go further. Um, And it's interesting. It's interesting. And then like to take that idea of that character that will go too far. Um, Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, you have like, as a, you know, when you're writing um, IP, for somebody else, the mm-hmm. hard part about that is you don't have the luxury of um, preparation time. 
Like you are kind of like on this clock, the clock starts running to, to really, really put together ideas that are satisfying to you, to the editorial people, and hopefully the people reading the book, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a very, very short period of time, like there's not this crafting time. Right, right, right. With the, with the, that book I showed you, the um, Titans Beast World book, that, um, like I said, it started out as a Justice League pitch, right? And it was, was primarily about them coming together and protecting the um, Democratic Republic of Congo. That was primarily what it was about. And Amanda Waller, you know, being a big part of that and trying to basically move to basically manipulate this team. And that was kind of the original pitch. And but they had this whole Titans Beast World thing planned out. And um, Amanda Waller was going to be a big part of that. So the only reason the only reason my book got greenlit because I had a Amanda Waller was a big part of my book. But I had to change a lot of things that I like on the fly, like real quick, to kind of make it fit into the Titans Beast World um, story. It still worked out, but it was like it was like extremely stressful because all the while every time I'm creating, I'm thinking, you know, what are people going to think? about this mm-hmm. will it work will it flow and again it was an all-black team so i knew what i was gonna i may have gotten you know, blown back with that as well so that's um like yeah definitely there's not a lot of prep time when you're working with dc or dynamite comics things of that sort um the only thing i think is probably the smoothest thing i worked on as far as another ip was the scar book because i'm a big lion king fan and you know scar you pretty much know i mean you pretty much know all about a scar and the story was just trying to figure out how he planned the coup so i didn't have to do too much um worrying about you know being deviating from the character um and i guess a lot of my pitches luckily got greenlit in the beginning and there weren't a lot of changes so that wasn't too stressful for me but for like i do agree like for the most part there's not a lot of prep time just kind of on the spot and you kind of develop as fast as you can you kind of kind of change and kind of bob and weave with the punches that things come through yeah. And, you, you know, you were talking about drawing from your life experiences. And I think it's a combination when you when you like when you are on the clock in a creative pursuit, it is almost as as your ability to react quickly and effectively is one of your most important skill sets, mm-hmm. because you're going to get a phone call, email, what meeting, whatever the thing is that it's going to give you some sort of like, Oh boy. Um, okay. <laughs> moment where you have to like go like step up and make a change because right. that's just the reality of things. And yeah. you know, you can't, str- you can't suffer from that. Like if, if you suffer from that, you, chances are they're going to not be so quick to call you the next time because right. They want they want the people who are going to make things work quickly and smoothly for you know for them if this is a company make their job easier and get a roll with the punches yeah yeah, yeah. you mentioned something earlier about um, you know Batman's Rogues Gallery and I was thinking about you know you you almost wonder like if Batman's like well listen I can't you know let let's take his not wanting to kill people thing out of out of the equation i think it's almost like the fact that he may be under in the understanding like if i keep these group of sort of alpha bad guys out there they're gonna stop other potential alpha bad guys from rising to the top because you know it's a it's a competitive you know field out there 
And we, you know, we can't, you know, because if I get rid of these guys, I don't know what the next group of problems are going to be. What's going to end? Yeah, yeah. Right. And so like what lumpy cream is going to come to the top that I have to deal with that he may not ha- know how to deal with? That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, that could be definitely why. And also, you know, there's, you know, it, it, it kind of, it's kind of hard to say why a character is doing something because, you know, like they're not killing off the Joker because it's the freaking Joker that makes some millions of dollars. Like, you know, that kind of thing, sure. you know, sure. you know like, like you can do like an Elseworlds story. I think, I think that kind of, that those kind of, cause I kind of, I try not to get too lost in that kind of thought. I do think of that in terms of, you know, if I'm pitching an Elseworlds story and things like that, it's more a work mentality than actually worrying about the actual reality of the comic. And, you know, why is this rich billionaire on a bat suit? You know, I don't, dive too deep into that or worry about that i just kind of try to have fun with the story and uh make it believable but i but not get too lost in the weeds in a sense you know it is comics like we have to be you know i mean you, you can't yeah i mean like there there are some comic books that are very you know grounded into the earth and they, they stay that way but you know we're if we're talking action adventure comic books like there's a we're all on board. This person can fly. This person can do this. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue this. Let's have fun. Yeah. So what's your, I mean, what's your, like, like writing comics for me is very different than writing uh, a book for me when it comes to like how I sit down and approach things. Um, there's a, there's a lot more, I think I have to do a lot more sort of early math with the comic book than I have to do with the novel. Like the novel is about like, let me just outline this thing. If the idea is, is working and I'll, I'll make my way through it. And I know that I have, you know, the luxury of rewriting to be able to kind of observe and, and get get feedback and build on that. But in comic books, the, tight, the timeline typically is much tighter. So, you know, it's about kind of giving myself a little bit of, whatever runway I can give myself to think something out um, for a conceit or whatever the thing needs to be and then charge into it. And how do you, like, how do you approach the comic books? And if you write prose, tell me how you do that too. Um, yeah, I've written, I've written a, a book of short stories uh, called Short Complex. And um, I was writing a novel several years ago, but I put it down and never picked it back up again. Well, I put the novel down and I put the story from the novel into the short story, honestly. I kind of made it a short story. But um, I guess I guess my approach with the short stories and prose is more, I feel like I kind of, I'm more isolated when I'm writing prose. It's just me. I'm just trying to focus on just writing the story and plotting out the story and outlining the story. But if it's comics, it has to be, it's, it seems like there's so many more moving parts it's not just outlining the story. It's like, am I outlining for five issues, four issues, six issues? What sells on the stands? Am I am I thinking about doing um, um, a one shot? Is it going to be a mini series? Is are you going to try to do a collection of them? You know, who's going to publish this thing? Are you, do you have the funding for an artist? You know, who's going to be the artist? You know, that sort of thing. And I'm in all these thoughts are in your head while you're trying to outline, while you're trying to do character development, while you're researching, like have you all these thoughts in your head all at the same time going on. So it's just much more involved. It's a much more comics are much more involved and they are they are extremely collaborative, right? Like um 
um, you know, Bitterroot, you know, when I, um, you know, like, uh, we won the Eisner and everything, right? And a part of me is like, you know, I don't, I don't deserve this thing, you know, I don't, I'm not, a, oh. you know, I'm not an Eisner winner, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, I don't, I don't deserve this thing, but, you know, I got to think it's not just me. It's like nine people, right? Our editor, the letterer, Sanford, David, you know, people I've talked to in the history department at USC about, you know, history. It's all that stuff coming together, making this incredible book people love, right? And it's not just about me and me feeling, you know, and me and my um, imposter syndrome. It's bigger than that. And that helps me get me out of imposter syndrome, especially with comics. There's so many people involved in making a book awesome. You know, it, it, it kind of snaps you out of your ego and, and your low self-esteem and let you know, hey, this is a huge collaborative effort of like six, seven, eight, nine people, not to mention the fans that take the time to come out and read the book and really fall in love with the book and care about the book. So it kind of helps mm -hmm. knock you out of your syndrome. And it also, like I said, the process is not that, not that the prose process is any less than, but just for me, it's just extremely involved in a huge collaborative effort. And you have all these moving parts. And for me, I need to take notes and make sure that um, I'm not getting lost in the weeds and trying to create this thing. I better charge my laptop because it's about about to die on us. Hold on. But go ahead. I'm listening. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's like, you know, it's funny you talk about the collaborative process. I mean, it's very much like it's hard to pretend to be Michael Jordan in mm -hmm. comics, you know, because, you know, there are very few people who, and it's a very short list of auteurs who can do it all themselves. And, mm -hmm. And chances are they're also not editing and publishing their book. Like, I mean, that's that that line gets very small when it comes down to the people who do everything. Um, yeah, but look, look, look at, I mean, Dennis Robin. Uh, I mean, he's not he wasn't a star, but all the no. rebounds and things. And you know, he was he was a huge. You're part not of that. winning those championships sure. without the worm. Yeah, you're not exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like you know that's one thing I love about comics is like so many people involved and. In, you know, either you got to take your ego out of it or you got to um, realize you're not in this alone and you don't have to feel alone. That's that's just kind of cool about the whole process. When you write your script, like, like, let's say for, you know, for a comic series, you know, because that's a thing, like, you can't write, like, issue one and not really know what issue two, three, four, and five are going to be. Like, you have to kind of block out this sort of story where it's going to end and kind of figure out what these dividing points will be and then sort of build a sub story within each one of these issues a lot following whatever characters you, you need to kind of you know delve into so let's just pretend you have that part of the process worked out because that's kind of like the nuts and bolts but like for you you know day one that you you have to start now writing out issue issue one what do you like how do you go about it do you build a, a detailed outline from this do you like what's your what's your entry point um it's um uh, normally a, um that's a log line right it's uh it's an idea you know um um a bunch of rebels trying to fight an evil empire with you know magical samurais with laser swords you know that seems to that sort i start with the log line sold i'm green lighting this one immediately chuck i'll back it <laughs> i think it's taken already i think it's taken oh i'm crossing <laughs> that off the list now 
So I start with a, a log line and then a concept and then um, a synopsis. And then I kind of just start building the world out from there as things kind of come to me. Um, as I create one idea, another idea pops in my head and I kind of intertwine them together where I get the um, basic idea of the summary of the overall story. And then mm-hmm. I kind of start with outlining issue one, two, three, four, and five. And that's kind of my whole process. Um, there's a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error, a lot of making a lot of mistakes, changing things. You know, I may um, run it by a few acquaintances of mine say, hey, what do you think? That sort of thing. And then once I get everything polished and ready to go, then I kind of start looking for artists. This is what I always done. My early, I used to, I used to, you know, have like, you know, maybe a one script written or whatever, and a, and a, and a, and a brief outline. Then I kind of started looking for artists, and I'm trying to change my whole process now, where I just kind of just want to develop a story, complete, mm-hmm. you know, have have the five issues written already before I even approach an artist. I used to have them all outlined before I approach an artist or approach a publisher with what I have and then kind of go from there. But I like to have all, I want to have, for what I'm doing now, I want to have all my ducks in a row, everything well-established. That way, when I go in and try to find an artist, I can kind of go from there. And still, whenever artists that I do work with, you know, I want, you know, I want them to use everything I've done. I don't care how long I've worked on it. That's your blueprint, right? I still want, I want you, you're the artist, right? I need your help bringing it to life, right? If this doesn't, if you want to make this character have a certain kind of costume or a certain kind of colors, I'm kind of, I'm really relying on those artists and the letterers and things of that sort to bring, like I said, their, their vision to the story. You know, I get the, the blueprint, but they lay down the carpet and they put the furniture in and they put the roof on and they really help build this house. They build this house of comics, you know? Hmm. I like that. Do you, how many, like how many, like how many script revisions do you think you do just per issue? Um, probably, probably, um, like, like once it's like, as I'm developing the script, that's hard to question. You mean after I do draft, after draft one is finished, how many revisions do I do or how many revisions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably about three, probably about three. If that, yeah, and um, you know, going back and forth with an editor, getting that first draft fixed. But even before I get to that first draft, it's just a lot of ideas being thrown out and changed, and sure, render bending and things of that sort, or you know, changing the time period, or or feeling like something in reality doesn't match up with my fantasy world. I kind of want to have things based in reality a little bit, you know, what I'm saying like historical fiction, things of that sort. This is just a lot of um. A lot of uh, a lot of editing and a lot of work just getting to that first draft, right? And then once you get to the first draft, you start showing it to people and to the editor and to the artist, and then that's when you start doing these different drafts and things. Mostly the editor before you even get to the artist. That's when you start getting all these drafts. And and when I say editor, I don't just mean with um, Marvel or DC. You know, if you if you're an indie cat, even not image, if you're an indie cat, putting your own stuff out, I definitely recommend invest in an editor, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I would really get at it just to go over your script and also go over the pages and to work with your artist. I know it's an investment. I know it probably wouldn't be cheap, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think there's this, it, it, I know everyone looks at it as some sort of like, you know, super high level luxury to have an editor if you're doing your own book, but boy, like, 
the, to have somebody who can who can catch all these things that needed to be caught um just like a, just like a doggy treat you need, to do, you, you need to do that man because like that's the stuff that is going to make you better it's so hard to be to improve in a vacuum it is so tough to improve in a vacuum because like if you like hey i write a script by myself and then i get an artist to do my my thing and i put it out there good on you but it's real hard if you are just aiming outward and there's nothing coming back to you and i think getting that ability to allow the in, the influence from other people in your creative process to kind of actually get in and and make and help make you make the changes that you need to make mm-hmm. like like do you have any like so like i mean you have people read your stuff you have editors you know give you your the feedback editorially like in honesty do you think you i mean do you feel like oh i have blind spots like are these are there are there things that keep coming back you know script after script you know over projects like saying like like hey check you're not paying attention to timeline here like you like i love the story but it feels like i don't get a sense of time moving here or whatever the thing is i'm just right, making right. up a. I do I, sometimes i do get people saying like um I think, like why i get like why this like someone be like like why are these characters playing baseball like why are they playing baseball? in my mind i'm like isn't it obvious why they playing baseball? <laughs> sure right right totally isn't it obvious why it's sitting nineteen twenty? Isn't it obvious? But you know, that's those like you said. I do have blind spots where you know, I to come in, it's like, why are you doing this? I'm like, isn't it obvious? I do it like this. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. But you're not. You don't have that in the script. And I'm like, oh, okay. but it's not on the page. Right. It's not in the page. Right. Chuck, you put it on the yeah. Page. So yeah, yeah. I do. I do have those blind spots where you may not know um, that you may be missing something in the story. You know. No, I, dude, I get, I get that. Like, I, I think like I have such a detailed understanding of all the motivations of the characters mm-hmm. and, but you, but I get people who they'll, they'll, they'll read a draft, they'll read a, a chapter whatever the thing is. And they'll go like, wait, so wait, why are they, why is this happening? And you go, Oh, because X, Y, and Z. And they go, Oh, oh, that's cool. But then I'm like, Oh, but it, that I have to let you know this somehow. Like I can't just, then there's two, there's two sides of that same coin. The other side of that coin is preciousness where we think all these sort of ideas that we have are so cool. We better put them all down on the page. Mm-hmm. But most of that stuff, most of it doesn't need to be on the page. Like it, <laughs> you can get by with a lot less than you think you can. Right. 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 Um, like I work with, um, I work with, um, Shelly Bond on Bitterroot. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, and a lot of um, you know, she'll she'll do that in a second. Like, why are you guys doing this? Why are you doing this? Like, what's the point? What's that? You know, I have to really think about this stuff. So now, like, with her and you know my editor at DC and things of that sort, now when I'm developing something, a comic, it, it takes me a lot longer because when I'm, I'm I have an idea, I think to myself, why am I doing that? So then I have to create more. Then I have to create. At the research exactly where this person's origins are and try to really put it all in my treatment in my document and then really develop i'm literally building flesh not this world even more and more and more so now i can only answer those questions but also integrate all that backstory into the actual comic you know not mm-hmm. just you know not just um obvious information but stuff that's just 
information that's there. So if anyone has a question about it, they can they can kind of follow along about what's going on, you know. So as long as I know the backstory and there's some there's some resemblance of that story and that why in the comic book, then I'm I'm satisfied with that, and I can satisfy the, right. the people that read in that story. I think it's a I think it's a combination of two. I'm going to use two symbols here it's a combination of icebergs and breadcrumbs Mm. and the idea is that if you can create an iceberg of a thing Mm. that you only need to show 10 percent of what the thing is but if you know the remaining 90 percent but the but the reader gets like oh that's a really cool thing all that 90 percent really is supporting that 10 percent and they're going to go like that's very cool and the other yeah, and the other one is the breadcrumb thing where you don't have to dump a lot of stuff, but you can put a bunch of little breadcrumbs out there in a row to to build up to something that the reader can go, oh, oh, that's that thing, that's that thing, that's that thing. And then if you can get a little bit of a payoff, boom, they're like, oh, well, I love this because I, I feel invested. I gained some sort of information along. Maybe you can lead breadcrumbs to an iceberg. Mm, it's interesting. Huh. Yeah, that's deep thinking, huh? <laughs> um, but okay, so so you're so you're making your you're you're doing your three script passes, making your revisions, your refinements. Um, do you are you how tight are you when it comes to your dialogue going into this going handing it off to the artist, or are you like I'm not really too concerned about it as long as I'm getting the idea across. I'll script the dialogue on the on the return pass after the art comes in no i put the dialogue in in the first draft and it's um it's tight dialogue but of course in my mind like you know once that um so just for people who don't know once you turn the script in basically you know i, I do it full dialogue the editor gets it to the artist the artist comes back with artwork and then there's something called a lettering stage right and you come back in the artwork may be different than how you waited out so sometimes i do a uh almost a fourth draft in the lettering stage I sometimes rewrite things that will match the images a little better. I may take out dialogue. I may have to add dialogue to it. They may add an extra panel that makes the page so much better. So it inspires me to create dialogue for that panel or a sound effect for that panel that kind of makes it all come together. So the lettering stage is a whole another draft. Um, I do do type dialogue. Um, I do do type descriptions, but not always. Sometimes I'll have if it's somebody I know, like I'm working with, if I'm working with Quran or Sanford or somebody I know, you know, smacking this text, I'll be like, hey, yo, um, they need to do Kung Fu from on this page, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. you here, flag there, whatever. But if it's someone like if I'm working with DC or Marvel and I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get a chance to really meet the artist or talk to the artist, I'm going to get everything they need to make it possible as much as I can. But also uh, I try to tell the editor, say, hey, let the artist know, you know, I'm here. Let them know if they do they want more description, do they want less? Let me know what they want me to paste references right into the script. Let me know what they need to make their job easier. So if their job is easier, you know, it's gonna be a better comic. Yeah. No, that's that's super important. And I think it's that evolution of a of a working process with somebody that is super helpful to the final, you know, result. Like if you can keep refining your deliverable to the people who are going to take what your ideas are and make them actual tangible pictures. Like that's going to be so much more helpful than just going, here you go. Um, and I've listened to, I've had all sorts of scripts. I've had this super loose, you know, script where it was just, 
here's just, this is just, it's a plot. And then you kind of make a story based, you make a visual story based on the plot. I've had, I I worked with Keith Giffen. I mean, that that dude just sent typing paper with his drawings on it. And you're like, okay, I'm like, I, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a grid and he's got, you know, these cool, you know, felt line marker drawings of characters and super, you know, low, low, uh, low res in the sense of drawing. And you would, you know, it, but Keith was like, I don't care what you do to the page, just yeah. tell the story the right, you know, the best way possible. Right. And, um, you know, and then you get the ones which are just like panel one and all the balloons are all defined and you, and it's got all the descriptions that you'll ever need. You know, th- there's, there's a gamut out there. Right, right, right. I haven't, I've, I've done like a, a, a small bit of where, you know, the, what do you call the Stanley way or whatever, the, or the Marvel yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. A tiny bit of, I mean, like I said, in the lettering stage, that's probably the the, the closest I've gotten to doing that. But it'd be really interesting to do that one day, to have just to get the artwork and to, to write a story around the artwork. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe challenging, but I definitely would like to do that one day. When I was, yeah, when I was in college, I, we a buddy of mine, um, classmate, was working at as an intern at Marvel, and he came home with John Burns' script for Iron Man with. Um, John Romita Jr. drawing it. So I mean, I, I might be, you know, mythologizing this script by this point after 30 years, but like it, I, I, I kid you not, if I, I don't think it was even a page long, like for the whole book, it was just paragraphs of what the action for the story was. Hmm. And then JRJR would just broke that down and turned it into, you know, panels. Wow. There, there, were, there was no dialogue. There was none of that stuff. And I've, I was, so, I was, so, <laughs> so they did the dialogue after the, after the, the comic was drawn. After, after it was drawn. Yeah. Okay. See that. Probably after it was penciled. Cause I, cause he penciled it. And I, I think Al, Al Williamson was inking it at the time. So I think that the art, you know, so those pencils went to John and then John was able to, start working on the script on a, on a dialogue end while it was being inked and color and then send it off to the letter for color before coloring. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, we can't, we were on a bit of a tight schedule with the Titans beast world um, book where I think I was making some script revisions while Karam was working on the first half of the script. So it was like really tight schedule. <laughs> You're like on the phone going, okay, yeah. panel six. Yeah. yeah. So he'll text me and say, hey, do you have a reference for Dr. Hate? I can't get it. I was like, oh, yeah, here's some, you know, here's some references. So it was, it was fun. It was fun. It's always fun working with people you know. You know what I'm saying? It's really cool. I mean, yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's it's really weird. I Like, I don't, I mean, it was a different world. This was the 90s. You didn't know who everybody was because, there was no, you know, social media, there, there were no cell phones, long distance was expensive, like all this stuff added up to you not being in touch with all these people you were making comics with. And so I think I knew, like, far fewer of the people I made comic books with than I knew at the time. And it was really weird. And you would just so you would get your script and you would do your thing. And that was, you know, okay, I got to pencil all this stuff. Um, you know, and I, and I, I, on one book, I knew the writer of the book and I got script two and 
it was the same as script one. It was just a kind of different location, but it was the same story beats. And right. I was like, I was like, oh no. So I, I called up the editor, not knowing what to do because I didn't have the writer's phone number. So I wasn't able to just be like, yo, what can we do here? And the editor was like, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. Like, what do you want to do? And and I like, <laughs> there was like no action coming forward. I said, how about I just kind of rewrite from panel one, like after from panel two to the second to last panel, I'll make everything end the way it's supposed to, and I'll have it start, but I'll just kind of make a whole new story in the middle. And he was like, all right, <laughs> and that was it. So I, I, so I just kind of roughed out a story in my mind and then drew it out. Yeah. There's no, there's no hope there. There's no other way to do it because you know, it's comics. Um, <laughs> So how did Bitterroot start for you? Um, you know, I was um I was I think I was I don't know about maybe in a barber shop or something. And um people were talking about barber surgeons and things of that sort. And you know, the original concept was basically a family of monster hunters during the Harlem Renaissance, but they basically operated out of a barber shop, right? And it just it came from just internalized stuff where, you know, I was just tired of seeing us as you know, sidekicks and victims and cliches. And I just wanted to see us in a positive, powerful light, you know? And mm-hmm. I, was always, I was always fascinated with the Harlem Renaissance in general, how, you know, they were basically created this trend across the country, but they, like, you know, were still being lynched and murdered and marginalized at the same time. So that's kind of how the idea was birthed. And just like, it's like hanging out with Sanford and, you know, we, we used to hang out and, you know, I, I was doing a lot of indie stuff, but he had already broken into like um, DC doing Wonder Girl. And we used to hang out, watch anime. And he's like, hey, what you working on? And I was like, normally I don't tell him, like I said, I don't like telling people what I'm working on because I think he might be whack or stupid or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But I just, you know, I said a family in the Harlem Renaissance that hunts and cures monsters. And his eyes lit up and he was like, that's cool. I was like, let's do that. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude, you're doing DC, you know, doing that with me, right? But, you know, I sent him some character profiles. He did some character designs for it, and it blew me away. And we kind of started developing a little bit, but we kind of put it down for a while. He started doing a Proud Man Iron Fist with David Walker. And he kind of mentioned that David Walker, and David Walker came on board, helped me develop it. And that's kind of how, how we got here, man. You know, we, it was a collaborative effort. It was kind of born out of tired of being ground down, tired of being seeing in a negative light and I just want to do something cool with us in a powerful light. You know, yeah. stuff, just a combination of stuff I enjoy, you know, um, monster hunting, you know, I'm fascinated by the Harlem Renaissance. I'm fascinated by period pieces, historical fiction. And that's kind yeah, of, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, it's an incredibly pivotal point in our nation's history, you know, those years, Mm-hmm. And you know, and not and and not for the better in many ways. I mean, we have there's some really you know just straight up bullshit from from you know everything that was happened at the end of that. But I like I loved how you tied this together, and you know, you know, like how like I mean the, the shitty you were talking about like the marginalized aspect. You know, like okay, well, there's gonna you know whatever it is, drug dealers or whatever, or like the like that's not a central point to this thing. Like there is, you know, this isn't about a, a fighting a drug dealer thing. This isn't fighting about a crime syndicate. Like this is about a family of people 
trying to save you know sensibly the world um from their from their from their home and layering that story you know over the course of some years in a you know in a you know progressing timeline it's kind of it's very i mean it's it's ambitious to say the least um was it that sort of kind of layered in your mind early or was that something that like you know, David and Sanford kind of like after, you know, in conversation, did that develop or how did that go? It was more in the, in the beginning, it was more about Dr. Sylvester um, and his world. It was more about, like we mentioned before, like you see the world around you and you, and you just, you know, he's he seen the world in the 1920s and he's seeing what's happened to his people. Right. And he has the power of basically this creatureness in this, in this, in this entity. And he basically was like, enough is enough and i'm gonna save my people by force by any means necessary in a sense and that's kind of what the original concept was about that villain where he's not really he's not really a dr lester isn't really a villain he's just someone that's sick and tired of seeing the right. act the way it was and he's going to use the power he has to change it by force right and that's kind of what the original concept but when david came on he was like what if we make more people monsters and we call them genome things of that sort and it's not just dr sylvester but it's like a whole bunch of people that also have this problem you know and that's kind of how it all kind of evolved and then you know with a collaborative effort everybody has their their own unique points they put into the story with me it was like i said it was about seeing us in a positive powerful light really talking about the history of the Harlem renaissance and really talking about racism and how it's affect not only Black people, but us and the world as a whole, right? And with Sanford, it was about family, how huh? family was important, which came into a really important concept. And like I said, David brought the concept of having, you know, most white people being turned into these genome creatures from the spirit of hate and things of that sort. So, like fear and hate, right? Right, right. So it just kind of, just kind of, it's like it's really, truly, like at a point we get with bitter root. You know, I'm, I'm gonna make look through it. And that's it, the lines get so blurred about who created what, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a true, wonderful collaborative effort. We get on each other's nerves sometimes, I ain't gonna lie to you, but, we, <laughs> but you know, proof is in the pudding, right? We, we put out something that people love, you know, even though oh, we yeah. get on each other's fucking nerves, we still put out something that everybody loved and that's really cool. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of it, man. And I'm, I'm really appreciative to everyone that picks up the book. And um, it stuck with us, man. It's just been, it's been, I never thought I would, it, anything, any, I never thought a comic would take me to this heights. And I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it, Drew. It's awesome. Well, I think, I think there's a thing about um, stories that are true. And I'm not talking true events, but I'm talking true in what they are communicating. They're, they're, they're not they're not making things up just to be cool. Mm. They're making it, they're making it, they're the characters and the motivation of the characters are driving a story. I mean, you, you're, you're, you know, I'm using the term villain in the, in the story, you know, is a victim and the victim because of, you know, anger and hatred is, you know, is driving the, the, the sort of what creates you know, the ability for the monster to become a part of him, you know, and, but that same sort of point of view is also what creates the, the sort of the monsters that are da the danger to everyone. And like, there's this sort of like, so you have like a, 
the conf- I don't know. There's there's so many very cool layers. I don't want to give it too much too much away for anybody who hasn't read it. Read it. it you know, like we said, it's a it's an Eisner winning uh, you know comic. It can't be bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I I mean I love it. I love historical fiction, and wh- you know one thing I've learned writing my own historical fiction book is how amazingly serendipitous actual real events are in the terms of the storyline that you're working within this time frame. Like you can find, like you do enough research, you can find these things that dovetail in to the point where you're like, how is this, how is this magically happening? Like it becomes really kind of quite um, shocking. Did you have any experiences like that doing your research? I'm a, well, I guess, I guess one of the things that stood out to me is I, I was I, like in early, I was researching like Harlem Renaissance and I was just trying to find, you know, certain major events. Right. And as I'm, I'm reading, um, reading stuff and reading articles and reading, I was reading one book and it was talking about how I think it, it made, I think it happened in New York where a sailor was on leave, a black sailor was on leave and a mob basically attacked him and dragged him out in the middle of the street and basically lynched him, right? And I'm, I'm, and I'm reading the book about the Harlem Renaissance, and that kind of, you know, took me aback. And then you kind of started, kind of started developing more. It kind of, it kind of helped breathe more into, um, breathe more rage into Doctor Sylvester's character through me. Like my rage is breathing in through him. I'm, I'm seeing my rage through. I'm living through Doctor Sylvester. When he's ripping apart a cop, you know, ripping his head off, you know that kind of thing. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm kind of living through him in a sense, bringing his character to life and making it more real. Um, the uh, what else was going to say? The uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh-huh. It's okay. You're talking about reading the book from about the Harlem Renaissance, and we were talking about the uh, real life events that have kind of pierced into your story yes black wall street so um black wall street basically was something that for me growing up i just always kind of knew about it right in my teens i knew there was this place where these black black entrepreneurs existed and they created all these amazing things so it became a part of dr sylvester's origin story right um but me and david put that a part of his origin story and you know it's like was i thought it was a really cool organic thing to put in right but as we put we put the book out right and, and you see fans come to the table they've never heard of black walls they had never heard of black walls and that just kind of blew my mind they had never heard of it so you kind of inadvertently educating people and you're not even realize you're educating people because i just mm-hmm. assumed everyone knew about black wall street i just assumed but uh, fascinatingly enough a lot of people don't you know, i don't know if you saw that video a few years ago, Tom Hanks, he was like, I've been to school all my life and I've never heard of Black Wall Street. So we were, we're creating these stories and we're creating stuff in my life and our own histories. We're inadvertently educating people on, you know, on worldly issues and things. So. That's, you know, the, I mean, you know, I, did, I, did, I don't think I even really kind of thought about it in that respect, but the idea of that second order effect of education in the idea of doing um, historical fiction, the the idea that you can get across these events to, and and they're not the central theme of the, of the, or of the tale uh, or they don't have to be, but the fact that you could, you could educate people about 
X, Y, and Z taking place and people going, Oh, I've never, I've never heard about this. And, you know, because what I thought was interesting, you guys put a lot of back, back matter into your books. Yeah. So you, you put a lot of like supporting material to kind of like talk about stuff, which I thought was a really interesting effort. What was the, what was the motivation for that? Like as, as the creators? Um, I think Bitch Planet was a big, a big Bitch Planet was a big inspiration for that. Okay. They had a lot of um, articles in, in the back about women's women's histories and things of that sort, and that really inspired us to do that sort of thing. Um, when we were all developing it, um, David was having conversations with John Jennings. Um, he's a scholar, um, and it does, he's a scholar of comics, and he wanted to do uh, curate, you know, curate our black matter, and that just because I had such a huge respect for him and the fact that he wanted to be a part of that and to lead that up was 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 really what helped I really helped elevate the book to a whole nother level because we have schools reaching out to us in college and those Sanford and David they both go to schools and, and just like I do in libraries kind of talk about the historical side of what we've done and how it had an impact on you know on real world systemic racism, how it's actually embedded in our comics and how mm-hmm. embedded in history and how we kind of use our comics to teach and, and, and bring new readers. You know, um, we can reach um, young adults and things of that sort with our comics because it is, you know, somewhat kid friendly. So a lot of high schools do read our books. So it is, I do think comics can be a huge teaching tool. And, you know, I, I do, th- I am thinking about doing more it's not just historical fiction, just but historical comics, just based on actual history. You mm-hmm. know, got to find a way to do that to kind of bring more people into um, into uh, comics and also to educate as well. Yeah. yeah, to me, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's it's a medium that is accessible to most people, yeah. and you know, it is a naturally distillated medium. You don't have a lot of real estate to just opine away and and go and just put a lot of words down so you have this this natural thing where you have to really think about what you're trying to put get across and that's the kind of that 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 sort of that stricture makes it something where you can kind of get some real heavy payout for not that the work isn't hard, it's very hard to make comics, but for not a lot of sort of like effort on the reader's side. You right. Can, you can sit down and you can get a lot from very little. And I think that's kind of a great thing. And if you can get someone to go, like you said, like, oh, I don't know Black Wall Street is, and then go, I'm going to go find out what that is. Mm-hmm. And maybe it leads to a Google search and then even, it leads to a book. Or even better, just go to the, I mean, with better route, you can go to the back of the book and figure out what. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think a lot of the stuff where we, we, we talked, we talked earlier about that iceberg, you know, that tip of the iceberg, like the comic is the iceberg and below the iceberg could be your back matter. You know, that could be your back yeah. matter where there are people that will take the time and read it and dig in deep. So this just, you know, if someone out there creating comics or indie comics, you know, your back matter can be all that background information that you wanted to put in the story, but you can kind of explain it, explain it in your author's letter or have your artists explain it and do character designs and find your inspiration. So that's one of the that's one of the fun parts of the comics. You know, you kind of you finish your story. You know, you enjoy yourself. Now you can kind of read the commercials in the back. You know, in a sense, you know, and enjoy yeah, totally enjoy the reading the back. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's like, and we, you know, we're living in a time, and I'm I'm looking over it like you know, big fancy hardbound 
collections of whatever, whatever, you know? And I'd be like, we're living in a time where you could, you know, ostensibly, you know, make the Bitterroot collection, but with like additional back matter, you know, you could have a very sort of, uh, you know, almost, you know, literary piece mm. that's tied in with this thing to sell as a hardcover collection. Mm. And I think it's, a, I think it's effective. I think it's a kind of the platform for that. Yeah, you're right. Like a whole another side book that kind of explains the history of things and how, mm -hmm. where the historical and the fiction meet. That's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean it ties in with your historical comic idea, but yeah, I mean, I think I don't know, and like so, you guys, you Sanford, I think I don't remember who was the first mentioned to me. It was either you or Sanford um, about like you you guys have ideas about continuing this sort of storyline in different you know in different sort of time periods which i think when you mentioned that to me i was like my head went of course like duh why 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 wouldn't you and is this still is this still a, a conversation in the in the works yeah we're still having a conversation about it with um thinking about moving things to the 60s um we're still in the early process of kind of getting the script together and um hopefully get Sanford started on some artwork. So I don't want to say him working. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, he's a busy man. He's a busy man. So um, slightly. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to, I can't give in honestly, I can't give any dates, but. Um, oh no, 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 no. That's a, I'm, 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 I'm more interested in the, in the concept of like discussing like how, because like, okay, you're inspired by this sort of this barbershop conversation. All mm -hmm. right? right. And your internal feelings about injustice and in history, drive this story forward and into where into to to what it became, uh -huh. along with these great the great contributors of your of your book. Yeah. Now, with this great this what is you know across the board great success, the the idea and the opportunity to do more of this comes into your into your your purview. It's a very different mindset to say, okay, now we're I am actively going to go talk about the, this sub bringing the subject into the 60s which arguably pretty term you know turbulent time period in 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 this context right. so, i mean our, our core villain is basically the like the entity or spirit of hate right, right. So that's that's timeless right like we can yeah we can set better root like today right Easily. dude i was I'm sitting there reading, like rereading the stuff like over the weekend. And I know, like, I know, I know you guys were talking about the sixties. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, damn, they, they could do this in, in the, in the forties, like during world war two, like talk about the spirit of hate and what the spirit of hate is doing. And then how that affects like this family and what this family does. And, you know, you could go back in time. You could go for it. Yes. You could go to today. You could, go, I mean, you could go to the eighties. You know what I mean? Like Harlem, in the eighties had a lot of problems, you know? And so I think there's just, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's as you have this, you have like, for like, it's like you could almost just do every 20 years, like hopscotch with all these, you don't have to be linear. You could go back after you do the sixties and you, know, you could go for it. It doesn't matter. Um, it's one, of those, it's one of those unique ideas that almost lends itself to jump into time periods over time. It almost it almost demands it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I mean it's I mean 
I don't know if people who didn't know you're going to be doing this in a different time period who have read Bitterroot are listening and go, oh, my God, like, I mean, I hope they have that. Oh, my God, moment that I had, like, it was just, duh, of course. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think it's great. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So you just got to pin David down and then uh, get some time on uh, for Sanford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, we, me and David did kind of work out. I since he, he wrote a first draft and I put some notes on the first draft, but as far as we are, as far as I know, as, as we are now, and I think, mm-hmm. as I think Sanford has that script. But uh, yeah, so we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We're trying to get everybody's busy and dealing with life so hopefully we'll get something out soon i know people and people i know people love this book and i that we do want to get more out to them we are conscious of that people care about this book and we're trying our best to get get more out there i think the issue the issues and the trades like i mean we're on an end cap display in my local comic shop for the last three years like i mean it was they were i mean they were just straight up they like the owner of that shop she loves the book and she's like it's like it's always it's always in stock all his trades are always there mm-hmm. you know it speaks to a lot of people that's very cool man that's very cool huh. since you love talking about stuff that you haven't put out there yet what <laughs> else do you work are you i mean you don't have to talk specifics but I, like how many how many irons do you have in the fire um three three, three. okay and then, and then there's the, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just, no, I was going to t- try to define how many are other P- IP and how many are yours. They're all mine. They're oh, all, look at they're you. All, yeah, they're all mine. They're all mine. Like I have, like I, like I have, you know, I have ideas for continue the whole water rising thing, but that's not on the top of my list until someone like emails me. I'm not going to worry about that right now. I mean, I, I, you know, probably a few years ago, I probably been like, Hey, what's up with, you know, you want to do this thing? But now I just kind of want to focus on developing my own properties, fleshing them out best they can. And if an email comes from DC or Marvel, so be it. But I just want to focus on doing, just fleshing out my creed on stuff as much as I possibly can. And, you know, quieting that voice in my head, you know, that's, you know, because as I'm writing, I'm thinking, you know, nobody the, wants to read this. Right. Why are you, why are you bothering? What's the critic going to say about this? I don't want to read, my, you know, that. Yeah, of, yeah. Everyone gets that, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It sucks. It sucks, it sucks. But yeah, I got, I think, three irons in the fire. And like I said, this residency, um, it's it's really cool. I, I got a lot of work done the, the few days I've been there. Because I have office hours where I talk to people that want to come in and just, you know, chat about comics in general. But other than that, I kind of get going. I just sit there in a quiet space and just work. And it's really been pretty cool to be able to do that and develop these stories. But like I said, I do have three irons in the fire, but I do have to focus on like one thing at a time, right? And mm-hmm. I, I got to get like this one idea. I got to get to a point where issue one is tight and ready to go before I kind of start moving to the other ideas that I have and developing them, you know? And um, that's a deep, so like, we'll try to touch on a deep subject quickly here, but I totally get that, man. Like, I can't really work on more than one, like one writing project at a time, like I like to put like the effort into it. Now, I'm not saying like you couldn't script something that I'm right and I'm writing something else like there. I think those are kind of different languages. 
it's really it's really tough on the especially on the development end like you really have to kind of put your mind into one thing and not mm-hmm. try to spread things because I, I often feel that like i'm repeating you know themes or something is going to kind of bleed into the other thing a little too much right right like i, I see what i like i agree totally like um the project i'm working on now it's like i may be writing the script and developing the script but I have another idea where I want to, I may want to read a book on ancient Samaria. That's about my other idea. Right. I'm not, scripting the, I'm not scripting idea B, but I'm reading a book about it or I'm researching about it or I'm watching, I'm watching a documentary about idea B, that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it is a little bit of multitasking, but I totally agree where if I'm scripting and developing one thing, I have to be on that thing. Even if it's, even if I'm doing it for a week or two weeks, that has to be my idea I do for that two weeks. And then I can visit the other script, but I can't, my mind can't do both at the same time. I probably are creative that can do that, but I can't. Yeah. I, you know, I used to have, I had this, this fantasy a couple of years ago. I was like, okay, you know what? I mean, I'm going to write for four hours in the morning. Then I'm going to go, you know, have lunch. Maybe I'll go for a walk, come back. And then I'll write, I'll do comic book writing in the afternoon. Mm. Man, I just, I mean, I'm like so mentally drained by the time I'm done for writing, you know, prose for four hours that I go, I, I have to do, I can do other creative things, but they just can't be writing anymore. Like I just can't do that again. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe drugs, maybe I need to do drugs. That'll be my solution. What, what mentally exhausts you? Like, uh, is there anything specific that makes that, I guess, drains you? It's, you know, I, it, it's funny you ask that because today, so I, <laughs> I sat down last week to start, uh, trussing up some chapters i needed to i would need to get a bunch of chapters going to trust up so i can feel comfortable in sending them out to agents Mm -hmm. and i had done a whole bunch of editing on the first chapter of this book i'm like okay it's in great shape and i happen to have printed out the pages so i'm like you know what i'm just going to read through them so i can get in the mood when i hit chapter two and i can just kind of cruise on through Mm -hmm. and i mean I, i i kid you not I sit down and within minutes, <laughs> this is no joke, within minutes, this is what page one looks like. And then page two. And then page three. Now I'm showing Chuck pages that are just covered in hand notes. And I go, oh. So I rewrite, I do all these hand notes and then I reincorporate them into this into the manuscript. And then I sent off. And, and like I detailed like this one exchange between these two characters. I'm like, wow, this is, I found the pivotal point of the chapter. Like I was all excited mm-hmm. and I made it all nice, sent it off to my two alpha, to my alpha readers. And the one, this one kid, man, Chuck, young, young, young person, but just really brilliant feedback every single time. No pressure. If you're listening, I, I hate saying that because now you're probably the clam up, but <laughs> comes back and says i love this i love that i love this but i'm confused about x y and z still and i go oh you're right you're right so all today i sat there and went through that same chunk and figured out what the problem those problems were and i think it's just like what tires me is the geometry of the story like setting everything up so it works in a logical pathway, 
but then laying in the emotional components of humanity into this, into this, whether it is narrative or, you know, dialogue, and then making it read, you know, read good. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess for me that those alpha readings you mentioned that gave you notes, I guess for me, I basically have the, these, you know, I, imagine these people that might read this story or see the story and have mm-hmm. all critiques and then I kind of get in my own head where I'm basically like my own worst critic and it's almost like I'm beating the hell out of my inner child where you know I'm saying you kind of suck at this you need to stop this that. and that's my kind of my that's a huge roadblock for me this you know my, I'm my own worst enemy trying to develop a property and uh-huh. know, to get it into someone's hands and to, to actually read so uh, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I, I do need to get more people, a more circle of people that, that can just have to give my stories to, to to read and have to have them check out and out a reader or two. Yeah, it's so valuable. Have I mean, because I'm ta- I'm talking you know less than the page of actual words, mm-hmm. but to be able to send that off to somebody saying, "I think I found the thing," and then within the day they send an email back or a text saying what they th- think about it. And it's not giving them a whole chapter or giving them a big chunk of stuff to read. It's just enough to, because like everything can't be pivotal, you know, like you have to like, you have to pick the pivotal points. And I think that's just kind of like the nature of it. And so having that feedback and having access to it, which is invaluable for me is super tough. And the other thing that I struggle with when it comes to the imposter syndrome is like, I have dude, I just, I, I have a hard time considering myself a writer. I mean, I've written, you know, 180,000 page book. Like I've, I, but I still have a hard time considering myself a writer because I grew up wanting to be a comic book artist and I was a comic book artist. Mm-hmm. And every time I thought about writing, it terrified me because I had to put words down that someone's going to judge my words. Yeah. Like for some reason, the drawing, I didn't feel so bad about. Hmm. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but it's fun and it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, especially when it works. Yeah. Especially when it works. All right. Um, so uh, are you going to the South Carolina Comic Con? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like so easy. It's like right down the road. Yeah, I know, I know. And if they send an invite, I'll go. But if I get an invite, I'm not worried about it. So I'm, I'm going to send them an email so they send you an invite, no, and no, then you'll go. We'll do that. We'll do that. <laughs> you like your weekends? Yeah. Um, I'll be at Heroes Con. You know, I'll do, I'll do Heroes. I know you'll be there. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll both be there. Then the one day show, February third, I'll be there. Oh, is so it? Are they doing? They're doing that Saturday thing again? Yeah, one day mini con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you go to? Uh, do you go to WonderCon or San Diego or? No, I I haven't been to San Diego since the nineties. Um, I have an incredibly supportive wife who always, anytime like any of those big shows are mentioned, she's like, "You should go." Um, you know, I don't know, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I see, I see. Um, ho- hopefully, they ask you again. I, I thought it was. I mean, we didn't make a. I, didn't, I know I didn't make a whole lot of money, but no. I, like I said, I got to talk to you, and I got to talk to a lot of good people. So I would. I hope they do it again. Would you do it again? Yeah, um, I don't know. I have. You live in that. I, 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 I do. I was negligent to have lunch with Johnny, uh, the showrunner. So I need to get back and talk to him because I really want the show to come back. I want them to be successful. Yes, yes, yes. 
a lot. I think it's a kind of show if they can find the right place and make it the right show, they're going to get a ton of creators because it's the kind of place that people want to come to and hang out and have a, have a convention. So fingers crossed. Yeah. It would be nice. I mean, heroes is still the sort of the most funnest of the shows out there. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Let's give a little shout out, whoop, whoop, for uh, the Michigan Wolverines for uh, winning the national champion, the last old school, wacky, wackadoodle national championship of football. (laughs) (laughs) I don't watch football anymore, but my father and my grandmother both went to the U of M. So uh, I'm genetically, like comic books, I'm genetically uh, programmed to watch, watch Michigan Wolverines football. All right. And plus the, the Wolverines. Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's badass. Right. Um, <laughs> all right, Chuck. Um, thanks, man. It was great, really great to have this sort of talk. I mean, we've had some great chats at shows, and I thought we'd have a great chat on this. Well, thank you for not giving up on me, and um, I'm glad I did it, man. This is real fun. Thank you. Cool, man. Well, I will see you soon. Um, if I'm heading down to the actual Heroes comic uh, place, I'll let you know. Maybe we can meet up and grab a lunch or something one day that'd be awesome man or i'll show up at your library oh sweet come on down man. wednesday from 10 to 2 i'll be there